are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Wall Street, which came out in 1987 and was directed by Oliver Stone. It stars Charlie Sheen, Michael Douglas, Daryl Hannah, Martin Sheen, John C. McGinley, Sean Young, Terrence Stamp, James Spader, James Karen, and Hal Holbrook. The genre would be corporate thriller. From the director of Platoon, the next battle is in the greatest jungle of them all, Wall Street. We're going down the drain, okay? The stock is plummeting. When it hits 18, buy it all. Something big is going down. I want you to fill out the missing picture. Mr. Gecko, that's not exactly what I do. Where you can trade your honor. I could, I could lose my license. That's inside information. For power. If you're not inside, you are outside. I want you with me, buddy. I'm with you, Gordon. Trade your peace of mind. Just the beginning, pal. If any trouble does arise, you are on your own. The trail does stop with you. For a piece of the action, Michael Douglas, Charlie Sheen, Daryl Hannah, Martin Sheen, and Oliver Stone film, Wall Street. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I have probably rewatched this film so many times, I might be able to recite as much dialogue as the cast of Boiler Room. Shut up, man. Listen, Gecko's coming up. What's going on? I'm looking at 200,000 shares move, pal. I want to know if we're part of it. I mean, it is a highly quotable, straightforward yarn of a movie with very clearly defined characters and a very simple message. Well, several messages, but one of them might be, greed is good. Except when you're screwing over folks that you know. It works so well because one of those characters is Gordon Gecko. As played by Michael Douglas, he's a reptile in suspenders, who you should just be repelled by, but instead you can't take your eyes off of him or stop listening to his endless platitudes about the, quote, free market, whether you inherently believe him or not. It's like that spot-on moment at the end of The Wolf of Wall Street, another film that would come out decades later, based on similar subject matter and very much influenced by this. And it perfectly encapsulates that film's message, and this film's to some extent. We see Jordan Belfort, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, He's now an ex-con who has been caught scamming millions of dollars from his investors. The audience at his seminar is well aware of this. And yet, there they all are, eagerly lining up to have a chance to absorb some of whatever Belfort has, waiting for their turn to learn how to... Sell me this pen. It's, it's an a amazing pen to, for professionals. It's a... Sell me this pen. Well, it's a nice pen. You can, you can use the pen to write down thoughts from your life so you can remember. That gecko is so entertaining to watch, as is the rest of this film, is the embodiment of that. Douglas deservedly won an Oscar for this role, and director Oliver Stone also proved that his massive success with previous episode Platoon just the year before was no fluke. This was just the early leg of a very impressive directorial run from Stone that actually started with Salvador, leading to talk radio, Born on the Fourth of July, The Doors, previous episode JFK, Heaven and Earth, and culminating in the dazzling insanity of Natural Born Killers in 94. Now, I love several of Stone's films, but no one would ever accuse him of being subtle. He's clearly reveling in this world as much as critiquing it. Some of the offices and high-rise apartments that we see in Wall Street 
They're almost otherworldly. The heavily percussive score from Brian Eno and David Byrne, and his music for this turned me into an enduring fan of Burns and Talking Heads from this point forward. The music's never subtle either, and it almost sounds like a synth carnival at times. And the lead performance by Charlie Sheen as Bud Fox. Well, it's often been criticized as too obvious, as has much of his dialogue. Well, life all comes down to a few moments. This is one of them. I just want to let you know, Mr. Gecko, that I've read all about you at NYU Business, and I think you're an incredible genius. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Gecko. Thank you for the chance. You will not regret this. You're with a winner. But I feel like Charlie Sheen is doing exactly what Oliver Stone hired him to do. 95% of the time, he's simply there to react, whether it's with a mischievous grin or a solemn frown. It's certainly not a great performance by any stretch, but it serves the story very well with Sheen's array of non-poker facial expressions. And Bud Fox's relationship with his father, played by Charlie Sheen's real father, Martin Sheen, in some inspired casting, it ends up being the heart of this film. He's using you, kid. He's got your prick in his back pocket, but you're too blind to see it. No. What I see is a jealous old machinist who can't stand the fact that his son's become more successful than he has. What you see is a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his wallet. That's because you never had the guts to go out into the world and stake your own claim. Boy, if that's the way you feel, I must have done a really lousy job as a father. And the emotions expressed between them end up really bringing this whole story to a very affecting conclusion. Despite all of the gloss and the razzle-dazzle involved with the story, Oliver Stone has still crafted a very effective morality tale, with two very larger-than-life characters, Bud Fox and Gordon Gecko, at the center of it. Why do you need to wreck this company? Because it's wreckable, all right? I took another look at it and I changed my mind. If these people lose their jobs, they got nowhere to go. My father has worked there for 24 years. I gave him my word. It's all about bucks, kid. Rest is conversation. Hey, buddy, you're still going to be president, all right? And when the time comes, you're going to parachute out a rich man. With the money you're going to make, your dad's never going to have to work another day in his life. So tell me, Gordon, when does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? It's not a question of enough, pal. It's a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Money itself isn't lost or made, it's simply uh, transferred from one perception to another. And beyond that, you have a non-stop parade of acid performances from a top-flight stable of actors who are just devouring every line of dialogue while inhabiting this cutthroat world. They each add a lot of flavor to it. That would include John C. McGinley playing Bud's best broker friend Marvin, who is always dishing on what his character can offer. General Zod comes to play. I'm talking about the legendary Terrence Stamp as Gecko's arch-rival, Sir Larry Wildman, who is quite adept at making his rival's name sound like an insult. You're a two-bit pirate and green mailer. Nothing more. Gecko. <laughs> Not only would you sell your mother to make a deal, you'd send a COD. And of course, Deep Throat himself. I keep referring to other movies. Sorry, I just can't help it. Deep Throat, of course, from All the President's Men. I'm talking about the late, great Hal Holbrook who with just a few key scenes makes the most of his time delivering heartfelt advice to Bud. 
Man looks in the abyss. There's nothing staring back at him. At that moment, man finds his character. And that is what keeps him out of the abyss. Yes, everyone, of course, loves to hear themselves talk in Wall Street. But at the very least, we just can't seem to stop listening. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. This brings me to the categories. The first category would be best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. Okay, folks, I am not going to beat around the bush here. There is a song prominently featured in this movie, which is utilized in such a perfect manner that it is very likely one of the motivating factors for this very category. Yeah, look up Best Needle Drop in the dictionary, and you will see a picture of the single cover art for This Must Be the Place, Naive Melody, because it is just that good of a song. As mentioned previously, David Byrne did collaborate on the score for this film with longtime producer Brian Eno, but for the soundtrack, he contributed this Talking Heads song from their 1983 album, Speaking in Tongues, which happens to be a fantastic album. And of course, I love this song as well. Such a unique sound. It has a mid-tempo beat with guitar and bass both repeating ostinatos, along with various different pitches of synthesizer heard throughout. Byrne himself has described this as a love song, but without the cliches, made up almost entirely of non-sequiturs. And that, of course, comes through in the lyrics. The song is catchy, but also somewhat hypnotic. And it works perfectly for a key sequence in the middle of the movie before it, of course, is reprised for the end credits. And this sequence happens to be one of my favorite 80s tropes, the Triumph Montage. And this was one of the better ones, too. The Triumph Montage, of course, is that sequence when you get to see our protagonist enjoying sudden success. Although this one is a bit more subtle, especially with the song choice involved. But finally, we get to see Bud start to enjoy the fruits of his labor for Gordon Gecko, now starting to live the high life of a player in mid-80s Manhattan. The scene which sets off this montage and song is pitch perfect too, as we see Bud being shown a very expensive high-rise apartment by a sassy realtor, played not too subtly by New York theater movies legend Sylvia Miles. Everybody tells you they hate the Upper East Side, they want to live on the West Side, but believe me, when it's resale time, the East Side moves all the time. I mean, what do you got on the West Side? Sean and Madonna, trust me. Massage, sauna, jacuzzi, tanning salon best schools in the city you know a cute young boy like you got to think of a future uh, lady friend in your life when you're finished wolfing around <laughs> of course i'm taking <laughs> oak strip floors he makes an offer and the song kicks in with a shocked expression on her face and we're off what follows is a gentle cavalcade of workmen furnishing the apartment with faux brick silver and gold tinsel decorations on ceiling frames sushi machines, Bud fixing homemade pasta, and of course that indelible image of Darian, played by Daryl Hannah, wearing this absurd fashionista hat, which I could only describe as, I don't know, what an 80s flight attendant might wear if she was leading a funeral procession? That's my best guess. But overall, it's just a fun sequence with a fun song. Look, maybe you'd like to see something cheaper that I got over on First Avenue. Honey, the meat is running. Anybody home? All right. Offer 950. He 
know, I got something over on Sutton Place. It's a million and a half, but now we're talking duplex. No. This is it. This is home. The next category would be Wasted Talent, which is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, about Daryl Hannah, I'm actually going to zag a bit here, as for most who love this movie, even the director himself, there's always been an obvious choice for this category, as the consensus has been for the past several decades that Daryl Hannah was miscast as Darian Taylor. Darian Taylor, of course, is the high-class art buyer who develops a relationship with Bud, and as it turns out, had a previous relationship with Gecko. And while I see the point of all the detractors of this performance, of this casting, I actually disagree. And needless to say, the relationship between Bud and Darian is pretty much portrayed as surface level. There's some affection there, but it still seems that from the standpoint of both characters, they're each more concerned with the status that they acquire by dating each other more than anything else. And as written, Darian is a pretty vacuous character, mainly obsessed with how things look and how are designed. But here's the thing. Her character makes sense within the high-stakes, status-obsessed world that this film inhabits. And Daryl Hannah pretty much plays her that way. So honestly, I never had an issue with Hannah's performance, nor even the character. And while I can acknowledge that she's certainly not the most interesting character in this story, I honestly doubt that she was ever intended to be. I mean, this is Bud's story. And he pretty much has a one-track mind for most of the runtime. Until, of course, he learns some hard lessons in the third act. His tenuous relationship with Darian completely tracks with that. And yeah, if we're being honest, mid-80s Daryl Hannah, this is just a couple years after she did Blade Runner and Splash, she certainly looked the part too. The day after he bought it in London, a dealer representing the Saudi royal family offered him twice what he paid. It absolutely makes the room. See how this little bit of celadon in the border is picked up by these cushions on the sofa? Although it's a sacrilege having that Etruscan vase in the center of the coffee table, some dope might use it as an ashtray. I guess you're a decorator? You got it. Great spender of other people's money. From my standpoint, this film is cast perfectly top to bottom. And from a technical standpoint, it all looks and feels both very authentic and cinematic. So as far as I can tell, after rewatching this movie so many times over so many years, there's no talent that is wasted with Wall Street. And now I'm going to combine the last two categories. And it'll be pretty clear why. And that would be the trailer moment. The scene or moment that best describes this movie and the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As a year later follow-up to his multiple Oscar-winning triumph of Platoon, an amazing film, I reviewed that last year, it's pretty impressive that Oliver Stone delivered such a strong film with a strong screenplay. This was also obviously a very personal subject for him, as Stone's father was actually a stockbroker. Among his filmography, it's among his best films, and it's possibly even his most rewatchable. Though JFK is very rewatchable, too, in its own right. But at the end of the day, this film just does not have the impact it does, the influence it now has going back 35 years, without such an iconic lead performance from Michael Douglas as Gordon Gecko. I mean, we are talking about a character who is so indelibly linked within this setting and this particular profession 
that in the decades since then, Gecko has cast a shadow on every other major investment banker slash corporate raider character. You'll see similar characters either quoting him and or trying to emulate him in movies like Boiler Room, Wolf of Wall Street, or shows like Billions. We have even heard Douglas and Stone commiserate in countless interviews since the release of this film that even though Gecko is very clearly presented as the quote villain with a savage lack of morals, they have both been told by any number of stockbrokers or investment bankers who encounter them that these individuals were actually inspired to join their profession because of the Gordon Gecko character. Yep, he's become a fictional aspirational character very much in the vein of Rocky Balboa or Maverick, even though he's the villain. No, that whole part was, I mean, I was the bad guy. I was, I was the villain. It's always shocked me how many people on Wall Street have said, oh, man, you're the reason I became a stockbroker. <laughs> and I said, I said, I went to jail, man. I went to jail. Oh, no, 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 It's all right, you know, going on. I didn't know. Like, we, we rooted for you, and I don't know I why know, we rooted for because you. Because I had nice clothes. That's all it was, man. I had really nice clothes. I should thank my costume designer. And not just any villain. We are talking about an all-time top 10 villain archetype here. Probably just behind Hannibal Lecter, Darth Vader, Charles Foster Kane, the Joker, the Wicked Witch of the West, and maybe a select few others. And why? Because as cool as Michael Douglas looks with the tight suits, the suspenders, and that slick-backed hair, this man dishes out wisdom in a breathless manner that few other movie characters have even approached. I wonder why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500. Because they're sheep. And sheep get slaughtered. I've been in this business since 69. Most of these Harvard MBA types, they don't add up to dog shit. Give me guys that are poor, smart, and hungry. And no feelings. You win a few, you lose a few. But you keep on fighting. And if you need a friend, get a dog. And I do mean breathless, as Douglas himself needed to consult with voice coaches and speech therapists to improve his breathing just so he could rip off pages and pages of dense dialogue while also pretending to chain smoke. And this, of course, leads me to the film's trailer moment, which has to be that all-important third meeting between Gecko and Fox. Fox just did his second trade for Gecko, and things didn't go so well this time around. So he's summoned to meet Gecko at the squash court, and of course they play squash. And what follows is pretty much an extended lesson from Gecko to Fox, which follows them from the sauna to the locker room back into Gecko's limousine. Actually, it's more than a lesson. It's a dare, a challenge from Gecko to Fox to step it up. What about hard work? What about it? You work hard, but you stayed up all night analyzing that dog shit stock you gave me, huh? Where'd it get you? My father, he worked like an elephant pushing electrical supplies till he dropped dead at 49 with a heart attack and tax bills. Wake up, will you, pal? If you're not inside, you are outside, okay? And I'm not talking about some $400,000 a year working Wall Street stiff, flying first class and being comfortable. I'm talking about liquid. Rich enough to have your own jet. Rich enough not to waste time. Fifty, a hundred million dollars, buddy. A player. For just under 10 minutes of screen time, it's almost all Douglas talking, and he's both absorbing to listen to and even somewhat persuasive. We can easily see how Bud gets sucked into this from both an ego standpoint and an ambition standpoint. Just an incredible sequence overall, which doesn't land nearly as well if Douglas doesn't have just such a strong handle on this character. For delivering such a memorable character within such a memorable movie, Michael Douglas is the MVP. My rating for Wall Street 
would be five stars out of five. Yeah, in case you couldn't tell, this film is one of my personal favorites, probably in my all-time top 10. Happy 35th anniversary to one of the more iconic films of the 1980s. And of the more iconic films of the 1980s, one that has aged pretty well. If you're looking to watch Wall Street, it is currently streaming on the Roku channel. And that ends another Liquid review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast. And to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.